Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Trigger Morning Talk podcast, where we have uncensored conversation. We exchange information and we have a bunch of resources for all the viewers and the listeners of this worldwide podcast. I said it, worldwide podcast. That's what WWW means to me. We worldwide, Rasha, because you're in Switzerland and we bring you right. back here for another episode talking about one of our top subjects, which is human and sex trafficking. Oh, it's going to get good today. Telling y'all, please believe it. If you're triggered at any point during this podcast, please call 911 if you need immediate help. If you are in the UK, you can call 999. You can call 112 or 143 if you're in parts of the world like Geneva, Switzerland. If you don't need immediate help, but you have some interesting information that you want to share, you know, hey, Give us a call. Send us an email. If you need some help with substance abuse issues, whether it be alcohol or drugs, call Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous, or Al-Anon. If you are suicidal at any point, know somebody that's suicidal, you can call toll-free 24-7 here in the U.S., 988. Again, that's 988. I want to just jump right into it because... I just am so excited to talk to my friend, Rasha Kamai, founder and CEO of Youth Underground. And, you know, Rasha, I want to welcome you back first and foremost. I know we talked, your episode came out this past March. So if you guys have not listened to it and or watched it, because you can watch these interviews on Spotify as well as our YouTube channel. And we are streaming on all the major podcast platforms. Please start watching these episodes because I have graphics on the screen that you're not going to see if you're just listening. And we love our listeners. We just want you to get the full experience of these interviews. So, Rosh Lamar, founder and CEO of Youth Underground. You got a long CV. I, I'll have all that stuff in the notes. You know, let's just jump into what's been going on with you because we got some good stuff today. Thank you so much for having me. Again, it's always a pleasure and a privilege. You know what, Rasha? We're going to be talking about the exploitation and human rights offenses, the misinformation. As you heard me say last time when we talked, the money is the source. And we're going to get into the money. I want to start off by pulling up some notes that I took. And this is from your youth.underground IG page. I was perusing your IG page and I was like, man, some of these topics that we cover don't get the full benefit of conversations. And I know you like talking about these things because I like talking about these things. And I think that most people shy away from some of this stuff, but we're not going to do that. One of the things that I screenshot from your youth.underground IG page is the U.S. is the world's largest producer and consumer of child sexual abuse material, better known as CSAM or CSAM. And according to the U.S. National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, Americans are the largest producers and consumers of CSAM in the world. Please tell us about well, that's that's a an, that's an important fact actually because um, when people talk about human trafficking, they think of that it happens somewhere else, but in actual fact, 
um, in terms of like population per capita, the U.S. is is the largest. First of all, it's the largest consumer, and it consume. I mean, in terms, it sounds terrible to talk about consumerism in in when we're talking about human beings, but it, it's um, traffickers. Um, most, I mean, many of them are in 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 the U.S. and they. The thing that people don't realize is that exploitations occur with U.S. nationals. Because the mis one thing that that people would would tend to think is that it occurs with foreigners, migrants, immigrants, and so on, and that's not the case. It happens with obviously it happens with all all sectors, all races, all ethnic ethnicities. Excuse me, but. Um, it happens a lot with, with U.S. nationals, and that's really important. The second thing is that in terms of producing uh, CSAM, which is, I know this is a trigger warning, but for people who don't understand what it is, it's actually pornography using children. So it's, it's, the, it's images, um, X-rated images with the use of children, but it's very triggering. Um, for for many people, which why which is why the term has changed, and they the the largest producers um, are the U.S. So so yeah, that's that's an important fact to know, um, which people don't realize, and and we talk about it. We don't talk about it all the time because it happens all over the world, but it's an important fact that we do reiterate. I want to go back to the next graphic. The next graphic, it really intrigued me because sometimes I think that here in the U.S., we tend to take this, oh, it's nothing going on like that here. It's not my problem. It's not something that I need to worry about. It's not happening in my backyard, you know, especially depending on what city, county, state you live in. Sometimes people get a little arrogant and they think, oh, it doesn't bother me here or the politicians may not have enough money put into some of these trafficking issues or programs, but every state is affected by it, especially here in the U.S. One of the things that you posted is there are only 24 beds to help sex traffic kids in California. Wow, 24 beds in the whole state of California. That's right. That's that's um, for children because what, what you have, the thing is children fall through the gaps. And the reason for that is that when when you're a, an adult, then it's it's easier to find a shelter. If you're a man, you're a woman in particular, you can find shelters for adults. When you're a minor, then it's it's very difficult to prove that you are actually a victim of trafficking because you would need like a guardian or or somebody to to look over you and many times they are classified as runaways which is not the case there's also another point is that many children minors who who are trafficked don't realize that they're trafficked you know many of them have been through abuse and and they don't realize they're they're actually in an abusive situation and when they are with a trafficker um, or a person that that has control over them, it's the the you know the the common comment is 
why don't you run away? But for a child, it's extremely, it's extremely difficult. And they feel that they owe the, in many cases, they owe the trafficker, um, whether it's money or because what happens is that somebody who is in a trafficking situation initially gains shelter, um, new clothes, things that, that perhaps the child did not have, especially if the child came from an abusive household. So when somebody provides them with material goods initially, they feel they owe that person, you know, they need to pay them back in some form. So in many cases, they feel it's a, it's a, it's a strange, it's not a black and white relationship. It's like there, there are lots of gray areas and they feel, you know, they owe them something, they owe their traffickers. And it's, as I said, that there's a lot of fear. What do they do when they leave? If there are no, no places to go, if adults don't listen to them, they would listen to adults. It's very difficult to find shelters. We're going to be going back and forth because we're talking about exploitation and human rights offenses, dealing with human and sex trafficking, the misinformation, and the money with Rasha Ahmad here on the Trigger One Talk podcast. I want to be going back and forth between these two topics, the misinformation and the money, because I want people to understand that both of these things are synonymous with each other. So please just bear with me. There's a method to my madness. You posted on the Youth Underground site that it's all about education. It's inconceivable for many to imagine that the bullying and selling of human beings is actually a profitable trade that happens all over the world. You may not see the problem, but it's there. It's not something that occurs only in dark alleys and far corners of the world. It's happening in all countries every day. Talk about that briefly. Well, it, uh, as I said, it happens, human trafficking happens all over the world. And it's, it's assault, it's, um, it's exploitation, it's uh, uh, one of the se most severe human rights abuses. And when you talk about children, because we focus, we focus on youth, address the whole spectrum. We address adults, we address survivors, and so on and so forth. But education for us is, it's important that that people who, who don't know about trafficking learn so they can protect themselves. And that's very true of, of children. And I think that adults often don't, under, don't realize that children understand a lot more than we give them credit for. And even if they don't talk with their body language, with, you can tell when something is wrong. So when we do address this issue, which is which seems overwhelming, children understand them. That's the educational, that's what we mean by education. It's a conversation that we have with them so that they feel empowered that they, you know to do something about it. And it does happen absolutely everywhere. And I remember in the last podcast we had together, the last session, I had told you that the first survivor of human trafficking I had ever met was actually in Geneva, Switzerland. So that yeah. goes to show that that it happens, you know, it happens all over the all over the world. But countries in general don't like to address it because they don't like to show that it happens within their borders. And that's the blame game. It's they're foreigners, they're outsiders, they're it's not our problem. 
but it is it's all of our it's when it's a, it's a human rights violation it affects everyone every one of us and we can all do something about it i'm glad you said that because this goes into my next point and i want to bring up two of the things that's on the youth underground ig page 41 percent of child trafficking is facilitated by family members and or caregivers it says in 2017 at UN migration estimated that again 41% of child trafficking experiences are facilitated by family members or caregivers. And then the next one I, I selected is 75% of trafficking victims were advertised online over the last 10 years, and that's according to the United Nations. Will you educate us on those things? Because they just really smacked me in the face when I read mm -hmm. it. Well, in terms of the first uh, part that it's family members, we often talk about stranger danger, but we don't talk about the fact that that oftentimes it's people are trafficked by those they know. We're, I'm talking about we're talking about children here, minors. They're trafficked by people they know because they trust. There's a trust that that's established. And, and that's really important. We don't talk about that. We always talk about a stranger, um, somebody you don't know, don't talk to people in the streets, don't contact so-and-so. If somebody comes up to you, don't talk to them, which is correct. But at the same time, we avoid talking about how those we know or our families know and they trust are, are actually closer to the children and have the children's trust and the issue with that is that families will believe the predators more than they will believe their ch the child which is which is terrible adults mm -hmm. will believe adults there's there's one thing that i want to say linked to that is that when when anyone goes through trauma you don't you don't talk about it in a linear it's not linear, a linear conversation like one, this happened to me, one, two, three. It's like a puzzle because your brain blocks out a lot of what has happened. So what happens is it's like a puzzle, like pieces of a puzzle that kind of fit together and they don't, it doesn't, it's like, you know, the conversation doesn't always make sense, but you can, you can understand uh, by the body language, by just the wording that something has happened. And because the conversation is not linear or logical, it's very easy to say it's not making any sense. You know, we don't we don't need to take this very seriously. So that's often what happens. In terms of the second point that, that you said, the trafficking happens online. What increased it or what put it to light was the pandemic. Because during the pandemic and lockdowns, there were over 1.5 billion kids online, students. And that students. meant students, not only minors, but I, I say they're, they're youth because they're in their early 20s and they were online. And some of them you know, were vulnerable, were, were lonely. And it was a very easy way for predators to, to contact them, to have conversations. And when when you have a conversation with, with a stranger, it's like, I wouldn't equate it to a therapist because it's not at all that. But when you have a conversation with an outsider, somebody that's outside 
your family circle or your inner circle, sometimes you feel almost um, it, it's less of a responsibility. You're almost most, more comfortable to say, to share things that, that mean a lot to you because that person is a stranger and doesn't know where you come from. You, it, it's a strange thing, but you do confide a lot in people. One confides a lot in people. One doesn't know. So that's the reason why um, that the figures are so high. So the thing is, I we're not sure whether it happened that the figure was so high beforehand. I think the figure is 2017, so it did. But definitely during COVID and lockdowns, it just increased then and these are estimates because for for the figures to be accurate survivors have to actually understand that they were trafficked victimized assaulted whatever there's shame there's embarrassment there's all sorts of reasons why they don't they wouldn't go to law enforcement or or whomever to, to share this information. So these are these are estimates. I got two more points I want to cover before we really get into the money. Mm -hmm. A child of 12 to 14 can be sold 15 to 40 times every 24 hours, according to the UN. Mm -hmm. And then you got one in three child runaways or approached by a trafficker within 48 hours. And that's, again, according to the UN. Talk about those two things, because that's just mind blowing. Well, in terms of, of being sold, these are global figures. It's not in, in a particular country. It's at the average. So some countries have more, some countries have less. But it's a huge, huge figure. And the average age, again, because we're talking about average numbers, it's 12 to 14 um, throughout the world. Having said that, there are children and Again, I know this is a trigger warning, uh, this podcast, but I would like to underline that the, the, what I will say can, can be maybe even <laughs> might uh, be difficult for people to hear. But some children as young as four years old are trafficked and they're sexually abused. Four years old, three years old, two years old, toddlers and babies, Larry. So that's horrific. And we have, we've, we've seen it, we have uh, proof of that, we have testimonials, but this is not something that we would share on Youth Underground because it's something we talk about, but that kind of information is considered extremely graphic. And if people read that, they would, they said, we don't want to have anything to do, it's scary. People don't want to have anything to do with that. And for the, the, the other figure, well, it's, it's the same. It's, it's uh, again, average. When there are runaways, children are running away from something, from their home, meaning that they have either been kicked out or, or they are unhappy with, the home, with their home situation. They could be living in an abusive household, they, whatever it may be. So the fact that they're leaving their home and they're living on the streets makes them vulnerable. They don't have shelter, they don't have money, they don't have food. If somebody comes up to them and tells them, I will provide you with shelter, food and money, they won't say no. They will accept that without thinking further because it's survival. And that's the reason why within 48 hours, 
they can be approached, runaways are approached by traffickers. I want to add something, uh, Larry, is that previous, we mentioned it before, but, but when we talk about stranger danger, what's important to understand is that traffickers don't have a profile. Predators don't have a profile. They're not people in, in cloaks or they, they look like you and me. They look like everyday people. That's why it's the education part is so important because it's what they say and how they express themselves that matters. It's not the way they look because there is no look. There's no specific profile. They could, they're normal, quote unquote, whatever normal is, but it's the common, um, as I said, they could look like you, they could look like me. Um, there's no specific look that would say, okay, this is a, a predator, I need to step away. This is the Trigger Want to Talk podcast. We are sponsored by Spotify for Podcasters. We are produced by my company, Penton Pending Consulting Solutions, LLC. We are streaming on all major platforms. This podcast is being streamed to a worldwide audience. We have our guest, our friend, my trafficking mentor back for another episode i think i might just call it part two of exploitation and human rights offenses we're talking about this time in particular the misinformation and the money because i would say the money is the source i don't care what you're talking about mm -hmm. so i want to bring back on the screen a couple more graphics and one of the things i thought about was the money traffickers make over nine point five billion with the B as in Bob mm -hmm. in the U.S. according to the UN and the U.S. State Department. Please that's educate. Right. Well, that's that's as we said initially that the U.S. is the larger largest producer and consumer of of um, commercial sexual material. So yes, they that makes a lot of money the younger the child is the more money the child will make for the trafficker so it's a huge huge market again it's horrible to talk about consumerism when we're talking about human being but that's the reality that we're living in i want to add to that station because that's just in the u.s here's another graphic that you all have on your site which is if you have not gone to youth underground's ig page OMG, I'm telling you, just phenomenal. Human traffickers earn approximately 150 billion with the B as in Bob per year. Not only is it the fast, second fastest growing illicit trade in the world, you know, it is trying to become number one. I mean, 150 billion a year worldwide. Like, that's, yeah, that's in profits. That's, in that's profits. profits. And it's actually. Profits and that's that's glo that's a global figure. It's an estimate. People think it's more than that, but it actually is the fastest growing criminal trade in the world. It is the fastest, but it's not the largest profit maker. It's number two um, after armaments. Um, it's the fastest growing. I mean, even more than drugs. You know, it's like wow. So. I want to jump to the misinformation portion of this conversation. I'm going to give you the mic because I only got a handful of questions. And I always say I got one question in 27 parts. Mrs. LP does not like when I do that. So I'll streamline it down. I got a handful. And I've been doing a lot better with that. 
This is how we prevent domestic violence in LP's household. The misinformation that you wanted to talk about in particular, that we didn't talk about a whole lot in the first episode, I want you to go ahead. I'm going to sit back. I'm just pushing buttons. And you let it rip because don't hold back nothing. Okay, you can ask me whatever you want, but in terms of misinformation, there's a lot of misinformation out there. And when, when people see information, films, um, documentaries, anything about human trafficking, and it's the wrong, and they say, okay, it's good information. In general, the general public would say it's good because there is talk about human trafficking. But I would disagree with that. Our organization disagrees with that because it doesn't do us any good to have information that's wrong. It pushes us back 10 years, 20 years, and we're trying to get the language right. We're trying to get the facts right. So fine, talk about human trafficking, but get it right. First of all, there's, there's something that I want to emphasize is that sex trafficking is one aspect of human trafficking. It is not part, it's, it's part of human trafficking because under the umbrella of human trafficking, you've got labor trafficking, forced labor. You've got, you've got domestic servitude. You've got organ harvesting. You've got forced marriage, child marriage. So you've got all sorts of, of things and sometimes they intersect. So sex trafficking is not a synonymous to human trafficking. It's part of human trafficking. So that in itself, when you talk about sex trafficking, it's, it doesn't, it, you forget all about the other types of trafficking and they're just as important. Any exploitation of a human being is important. So when that information comes out, you have to get it right. The information, sorry, the information has to be accurate because it doesn't do anyone any good. For survivors who, who have gone through it and who listen to that, it's, it's they, they don't, it doesn't resonate with them. It doesn't, re they don't under, they, you know, they don't have anything to do with it because it's the information is completely wrong and they don't identify with that information and who best um, can, can, can really give us the correct information if it's not the survivors themselves and we talk with survivors so we get the info we try and get the information as accurate as possible so our, our facts are essentially from the UN because these are global figures but we do have other sources and we definitely talk to to survivors who have experienced it who know what it is and who can tell us this is not what I I didn't I don't recognize myself in this language, I don't recognize myself in what's being portrayed. And so what are we doing here? What are we doing? It's wrong. It's not helping anyone. On this podcast, the Trigger One and Talk podcast, all four words, so it, when you search for it, it's Trigger One and Talk podcast, folks. We cover sex trafficking and human trafficking. We cover domestic violence, sexually based offenses, true crime and at the end of every episode every interview we cover a missing persons case and i'm going to be covering the case of a young man that mrs lp 
let me know about who's been missing. And he has a very interesting story. His name is Johannes Kadane. Johannes Kadane. And he has a very interesting story that I want to be sharing with you all at the end of this. I want to get back to something that you said, Rosh, because again, we're going to be talking about this misinformation and the money a lot during this episode. As far as the misinformation, I'm a parent. I have, with my ex-wife, we brought six children into this world. Five boys, one girl. All the boys are adults, 21 and old. My daughter, she will be 16 Christmas. I never had a conversation with them when they were little, little kids, about trafficking because... In my mind, trafficking was something that came from across the pond, from Europe, in some shipping containers. I live, I live, I'm from St. Louis, Missouri, so I'm right in the smack dab in the middle of the U.S. in the Midwest. I thought everything that I saw and heard about trafficking back then, and this is way before I got into EMS, so I'm talking about way before, I'm talking about in the 90s, in the 2000s, was stuff that I saw on TV. Like I said, people being shipped from Eurasia in some shipping containers coming to some major point of call on the primarily on the eastern seaboard, maybe on the western seaboard, and doing some servitude or some sexual-based offenses being done to them or something like that. Or they were coming across the U.S.-Mexico border and I call them people movies in some trucks or something like that. I never had the mindset to talk to them about trafficking. I did talk to them about stranger danger. I did talk to them about you know, be aware of your surroundings and situational awareness and stuff like that. When I got an EMS in 2006, all the way through 2020 and to the present, I have different conversations with them now. You know, because, again, all the boys are 21 and older. I have a teenage daughter now, and I am very concerned because trafficking happens in all the time, everywhere, especially in the U.S., especially when you have a residence in a major city with an international airport and you have the interstate highways. I mean, those are, are havens for trafficking. Again, I'm from St. Louis. We got an international airport, Lambert International. Uh, we got, you know, Interstate 70 that, you know, starts in the East Coast and terminates in Colorado. You know, that's a lot of states that it can cover to move people. And then that's just a that's just a horizontal interstate. We're not talking about the vertical ones that it intersects with. You know, so when I think about just the conversations, I want you to tell us what should I be saying or what should we say as parents, as caregivers to our young folks to keep them in the mindset of situational awareness when it comes to trafficking? First of all, I identify with what you're saying because in the 90s, I, I had no idea about human trafficking. I mean, I learned about it. It wasn't a word that came out. Actually, the word was, was identified in the year 2000 by the UN. So it's not, it's not something that's, that's a very, that was during our time. I had no idea about human trafficking. So now we're, we're, there are terms and we're talking about, when you're talking about domestic violence and so on, um, it's, it's something that, that we can have open conversations about. For children and your, your children and the younger children, I think it's important 
say when we start with the younger children and when i mean younger children i mean like toddlers i wouldn't okay. say the word human trafficking but what's important is that you you talk about it's important to to talk about how a child feels when when a child meets somebody even if it's a friend of yours if a child is uncomfortable listen to that sometimes a child won't be able to put the what they feel in words but you can ask do you, how do you feel physically do you have a stomach ache do you have this and they will express themselves what do you feel in your body and they will express themselves at a very very young age they can be three years old and you can tell by their body language if they're comfortable or uncomfortable with somebody so if they're they're uncomfortable with somebody don't push them and say, even if it's a friend of yours and say, he's a friend, go on, be, you know, go say hello, hug that person, give that person, yeah. uh, you know, how, how we were raised, like say hello, be polite. No, listen to the child. And what's, when a child is very young, talk about what the child physically feels and listen. And that's really important. And you can also understand the signs when there are behavioral changes, if a child is withdrawn, quiet when a person is around, that's important. That's establishing boundaries. Once you start these conversations at an early stage, then you continue and the conversations continue and and they become much, you can introduce different words and then you can introduce trafficking, you can introduce assault, you can introduce discomfort, whatever the discomfort is. If a child feels discomfort, there is something that you need to be aware of. When the children are older, when they're teenagers, that's important. And that's when they're interested on, in the internet, for example. And that's when you, you talk about if somebody love bombs you, sends you compliments, and you don't know that person, be aware. If you say no, if a child, if a teenager says no, the trafficker, the predator will move on because they have a pool of, of kids all over the world. They're not going to waste their time on somebody who says no. Don't be afraid to say no. And, and another thing is that if you have conversations with your children or children that you know, younger, you know, pre-teens, pre teenagers, once you have these conversations, they will be very open with you, more open, and they will feel comfortable enough to say, somebody tried to contact me. And the important thing is to really and listen, and that's the hard part, is to listen without saying, blaming or shaming, or how could you do this and don't do that. Just listen to what the child has to say. And, and then say, work with work let's work through this together why are you interested find out why is the child interested why is the teenager interested in this kind of conversation and then you give your advice i don't think it's a good idea and and so on and that you can consolidate the conversation thereafter so the older they are the older you can you can give the facts what do you say to young adults 18 to 21, especially those that identify um, as 
women because we know a lot of young ladies are going on the gram and they're, you know, either they're are brand ambassadors for a lot of these clothing designers that, you know, have the body revealing type of clothing. No judgment. I'm just having a conversation. Okay, so don't come at me. They may be advertising BBLs, the Brazilian butt lifts, and they have the procedure done and look at me now and just, hey, you know what? I, I look good. I'm, I'm cute. You know, uh, I'm available. Like, how you like me now? Or whatever it is. And I'm starting off with young ladies first. As a parent for someone in that age group, what should I say to that young person in terms of Talking about the dangers, the misinformation, and the money, specifically. It's important to talk about um, several things. One is that once a, a picture of you is online, it will never go away. And now no. with AI, no. And, and they can, now with AI, you've got, um, they can, and that's, the, that's really dangerous because they can take pictures and they can play around with them and put nude, you know, take pictures of other people and just superimpose them on each other and, and show that a, a, a naked child, for example, a naked young adult. So I would say it's extremely important to really stress the fact that when something is online, even if it's for a, a few seconds, somebody can take a, a screenshot and that's it. So be aware of that. The second thing I would say is that if you're on uh, live streaming, be careful of, of posting information of where you are. Because if you are in, in some place and you, somebody will recognize the area, they, will, they can come to that area. So in that situation, if you are on a live chat, live Instagram live whatever be with people that you're very good friends and don't don't go home alone don't stay alone always tell at least two three people where you are that's extremely important don't third thing don't give your contact information your last name don't give your address something people don't don't um, would forget is like details like a number plate, for example. You don't think of a license plate of a car. From a license plate, somebody can find out where you are. So these are these are just cues to 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 help out and to to educate um, young adults. We have actually on on Youth Underground. We have have a whole section which we added a a few months ago on online security there's a there's actually a very short questionnaire and it's a yes no and what to be careful of and it gives we give all, all the details what to tell teenagers what to tell parents it's just recommendations advice on on um, children teenagers who feel alone who feel suicidal yeah, there's a whole section there. Um, on the which link? Uh, on the which heading? It's on its own. It's on its own. 
Oh. Online security. It should be there. That whole section is about how to stay safe online. Suicide ideation, what parents should do, um, change in behavior. Don't, don't minimize what a teenager is going through and think, oh, it's a teenager is depressed. So it's just a phase. Find out more. It's extremely important. I'm just going to read the headings because I want people to go to your sure. website. <laughs> Excuse me. You talk about online risk. And some of the things that you talk about is privacy, permanency, grooming, catfishing, impersonation slash identity fraud, cyberbullying. And you have a short video on there uh, on the page that talks about online catfishing that I want people to go and watch. Because, again, catfishing with this AI technology now, it's, it's a game changer. It is a complete. It is a game changer, and I'm so glad that you brought up the AI component because I was going to ask you about that. See, you always tell me you be reading my mind sometimes. Right? I'm like, <laughs> yeah, we're on the same wavelength. The, the thing about AI, AI is, yes, sorry, Larry. No, great. Sorry, excuse me. It's it's that what one thing to is that in the changing of 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 image in images. You can have an adult play with the AI and make himself or herself, because there are women predators as well, make themselves look like children. So that's the strength of AI. There's also apps that do that. So on, if again, if it's somebody you don't know, your friends don't know, do not engage. Do not engage. Women can and are trafficked. Period. Oh, yeah, point. for sure. You talked Absolutely. about that the first time that you came on in our exploitation and human rights offenses segment. You know, and I always tell people, it's my podcast, but the guest that comes on, it's their interview. So that's why she's doing a majority of the talking. I'm just, you know, throwing some questions here and there and pushing some buttons, all that stuff, or whatever. It's not about me. I didn't want to do a soliloquy based podcast. We're going to continue, though, because you know what bothers me? about some of this stuff in terms of the misinformation how to talk about uh, movies and the films and all that stuff because you brought up something the other day and i was like hold that thought you're gonna put a pen in because when i interview you i want you to talk about it the mic is yours okay first of all i also want to say that it's not about me it's a cause that's bigger than me so this is an um a conversation we're having about a cause that's larger than us and we're sharing the information so i think that's extremely important if you're 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 addressing an issue like human trafficking and you make it about yourself i question i would question that person i i genuinely would because if a person makes the issue about them that's that's a red flag for for me and for our team at youth underground we don't do that. And we're very weary of that. Like, for example, if people say we've rescued, um, I don't know how many people, you don't rescue people. I don't believe in that. We don't believe in that as an organization because what we do, we're catalysts for victims and survivors to, to help themselves and take a path 
they would take anyway. We're, we're just providing that information, but all credit goes to the person who's lived through it and who has escaped it. So the fact that you're wording it as we rescue people in itself is something we never, we never taught, we never use because we don't believe in that. And it takes away the, the effort and the hardship that a person who has been through trafficking and who has survived trafficking and is going through the healing journey takes all that away and puts it on the person. So that's, that's something that, that we, that's important. So I know you're talking about a certain film and it came out on the 4th of July. Um, it was before I saw it, I had seen, I had seen several documentaries that that organization had done and specifically the founder of, of the, the organization. He's not, he doesn't work for the organization anymore. They were, I won't get into it, but they were, they had the, they had legal issues, but all this to say that the film that came out was talked about basically about the, that specific person who is a white man, blonde, whatever, which is fine, but he saves the a colored, the colored, you know, Latinos or Latino children. And it's like sensationalized, it's like, I would say Rambo style, and he rescues the children. So the premise to start off with is very off-putting for, for me. And I, I speak on behalf of the organization. So me personally, I, I, felt, I felt discomfort without even seeing the film initially. And then I realized that survivors felt the same way. They're like, they didn't identify because it's, it's putting, again, it's putting, you're putting a white man, you know, like he's the savior of, of people of different ethni ethnicities, meaning that, that victims or come from, from outside the US, which again is a wrong premise. It's misinformation. That film grossed a lot of money. It grossed more than, than Indiana Jones and the opening weekend. Wow. It was, it was screened by Trump. So Trump has a huge following and that was one of the, I wouldn't say it's one of the reasons, but it's among the reasons why it was extremely popular. And those who, who were against it, so to speak, I mean, I know survivors were against it. I wouldn't say I'm against it, but, but those who, who were uncomfortable with it were, were kind of categorized as, as, okay, you're on the other side of the political spectrum and you're either a Democrat or you're, it's a black and white issue. Human trafficking is not a black and white issue. It shouldn't be presented as a black and white issue. It should be sensitive to survivors and those who have lived through it. When you talk about the money, people who have money can make films like that and, and generate more money. However, how much of it goes to survivors? Mm. Nothing, zero, zero. 
if you're talking about trafficking, there should be a portion that goes to to survivors to to that you can I mean if we have access to them everyone has access to them and I think it's important that they they need the money more than any of us so the fact that somebody who's already has has and good for him has is is has made money and has been successful is making even more money based on I would say misinformation made me very uncomfortable. I hope that makes sense. No, that makes absolute perfect sense because when we're talking about the money, you know, Roger, one of the things that I think people don't like talking about is a lot of times people say, don't count anybody else's pocket or change or anybody else's income and stuff. You can't have that mindset when you're talking about I mean, you, you, you just can't because, again, the root of trafficking is the money. It's like Absolutely. The, Absolutely. You know, 100%. You, you can't say it's anything else. The root of trafficking is money. It's just like, it's not, there's a saying, there's a biblical saying that uh, the root of all evil is, is uh, money. It's the love of money that's the root of all evil. Correct. And so Correct. when we're talking about the money, I say, who benefits from it? Because I'm not benefiting from it. And your organization is not benefiting from trafficking. Who's benefiting from it? And we're talking from a worldwide perspective. It's not just the U.S. that's doing it. This is a global... Absolutely. It's worldwide. It's worldwide. So who else benefits from it? I want you to talk about, and I'm not asking you to name particular individuals. I want you to give me the top five of who benefits from something. Well, first of all, in terms of money, it's quick money. Because when we, you initially talked about drugs, for example, you consume drugs once and it's over. The, pro, the issue with, with, with human beings is that you can again consume them, exploit them over and over and over again. So it's quick money, and it's a it's a network. Now, in terms of so it's a it's a money making machine. Mm -hmm. Now, in terms of of who benefits, it's people who have who who. I would say, many people close their eyes. To this, to to trafficking, because they might know somebody who's involved in pedophilia, or who's involved in sexual assault, and these are people, and this, these are facts. These are people in decision-making positions who might fear to of losing their jobs. It's your your if you're a whistleblower and you talk about somebody in high government uh, or or as the in a, in a company in a senior these are people in senior positions senior positions in companies in the government in a in a church in a in a, in a mosque in a, these are people who are the so-called elite of society
how does one bring them down how does one bring them down without if if you you're afraid and you don't want to to jeopardize your own position if you're in if you're in a situation of comfort how do you put them down how do you take them down knowing that either they know about it they're involved in it they're bystanders or they're enablers so to answer your question the money comes from from people in high positions in in positions where they have power where they can control money they have money already they can control it but you also have the the traffickers that 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 actually use exploit the 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 human beings but it's a it's a network they have you have the as you say the big fish up there and i think that what i mean there are a couple of examples but i if we can name jeffrey epstein for example sure. now okay we talked about him last yeah exactly okay well who he was he had tons of money but then look at who he mixed with did any of these people go down did any of these people get no no none of them did nobody did why is that it's that simple it's that sad and that simple it's horrific i wouldn't yeah the me too movement for example or a movement that comes together like that brings down heart like harvey weinstein for example this is the kind these are the kind of movements that bring people down that deserve to be brought down or or but if it's a single person it's very difficult to denounce somebody who's in a position of power because you've got those around that person who will either doubt you will ignore you or will will throw you under the bus you know mm-hmm. that's the Absolutely. way we we focus on things because when when you're when you're educating the younger generation they're very aware of what's happening but people who are in in comfortable positions will not or will rarely talk about uh those they know who are involved in ca- any kind of human rights violation and that's domestic violence we've seen people even lawyers involved in domestic violence we've seen priests involved in trafficking rabbis involved in trafficking imams involved in trafficking i mean you know so that's where that's where the money is and that's where the money goes let's talk some more about the money this is the trigger want to talk podcast we're sponsored by spotify for podcasts we're produced by pension pending consultant solutions llc we're streaming on all major platforms Please watch these episodes on Spotify or our YouTube channel, Pen and Pen Consulting Solutions LLC. We're talking with Rasha Hamad, founder and CEO of Youth Underground, based in Geneva, Switzerland. She'll be here in the U.S. soon. I can't wait. Yes, you we're know, already we're halfway there. We're halfway there. Almost there. I, I, I can't <laughs> wait. Getting back to the money. I'm I'm pulling up your website and you got a couple of links that are under the visual snapshots. And one talks about consequences of human trafficking. I'm not going to read all of that. I'm going to skip down halfway to yeah, part there's a of the lot top. Of information there. Yeah, because there's a lot of info. So yeah, I got to go to her website, youthunderground.com. Youth-underground.com. I'll post the link to your site in the show notes. 
The part I want to talk about in this particular section under consequences of human trafficking is this. These, uh, it says on the site that the negative impact of trafficking goes beyond individuals and also affects families, communities, and countries. Once trafficking takes root in a community and is seen as an acceptable way of making money, it then becomes self-perpetuating. Trafficking undermines good governance, democracy, and the economy of a country. It can also have an impact on the reputation of the military and security forces, including peacekeepers, as research has shown that they have contributed to fueling the demand of force, or excuse me, for force prostitution in former war zones. I want you to talk about that. Well, that's um, one, well, that was uh, um, scandals that came out several times, but for example, peacekeepers, people that go and are supposed to maintain the peace and conflict areas have known to, some of them have assaulted uh, women, raped women. Um, it's not trafficking per se, but it's not that they make money out of it, but they can. Um, and they're supposed to be keeping the peace. And that's happened in, in many, many conflict areas, conflict zones all over the world. And this is one, the example obviously is the UN, UN peacekeeping forces, but not only but that, that I'm, I'm citing the UN because that was, that was made public a few years ago and um, it was horrific. Also, you've got troops that were in, in Afghanistan, did the same thing, in Iraq, did the same thing. And these, yeah. are, these are people that are supposed to monitor the peace and make sure that everything is going as planned. That's not what, what has been happening. Obviously, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a small population, it's a mi minority, it's a small percentage because peacekeeping forces do a wonderful job. So we can't, you know, I don't want to say that they're all like that, obviously. Yeah, and we're not saying but, all peacekeepers, yeah, you know, we're not but, talking about yes. Right, but, but it takes a few bad apples, as, as one yeah, says. To, 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 you know, you lose trust. If you're in that situation and you can't, and you, you, you're faced with somebody who's supposed to protect you, that affects you because then you're afraid after that to go to law enforcement. You're afraid to go to somebody in a position, in a in somebody that you are supposed to trust whatever position that person may, it could be a family member, but also in terms of, of, uh, of um, somebody who could keep the, uh, who was in a legal position, who's in a position of, of power, I would be afraid, if that happened to me, I would be afraid to go to law enforcement. I mean, it's, it's, it's a normal human reaction to, to be afraid. And um, if you have been through something um, in that manner, War zones happening all across the world. I mean, even in the U.S., there are cities that are literal war zones. I'm from St. Louis, Missouri, which has been called the middle capital of the U.S. for decades. And it's gone from one to three. It's always in the top ten, definitely in the top three, unfortunately. And it's a wonderful city. It's a blue-collar city. It's a working-class city. 
-hmm. you know, when I think about some parts of St. Louis where I grew up, some parts of the east side, which is East St. Louis, which is known for, I mean, you say East St. Louis, even if you've never been there, most people know about East St. Louis. It, the blight, the poverty, the unemployment, the crime, all of these things. I mean, you're talking about war zones? I got stories. I'm not going to get into that today. The reason I bring that up is because when we talk about war zones, I want us to remember that we have to get rid of the stigmas, the taboos, and the stereotypes. And we got a series talking about stigmas, taboos, and stereotypes here on the Trigger Warning Talk podcast. When we're talking about war zones, we're not just talking about like the Ukraine. We're not just talking about Afghanistan. We're not just talking about someplace in Eurasia. We're talking worldwide mm -hmm. conflicts that happen. And they happen even here in the U.S. So when you talk about not trusting the military, it's no different than what a lot of melanated folks feel like when it comes to law enforcement here in the U.S. They don't want to call law enforcement about things. They don't want to call law enforcement about domestic violence situations. They don't want to call law enforcement about mental health issues that may have caused a domestic violence situation where that person might be acting out. They're not necessarily trying to hurt somebody else. Uh, they have some mental health issue that's going on. And because law enforcement, unfortunately, is not trained enough in mental health issues, and I've talked about that ad nauseum, and I'm going to keep talking about that, you need to have more crisis intervention trained officers in law enforcement. You don't have to defund the police by taking the money away from that department. You can say, hey, whatever your budget is, Let's increase the amount of money that's going towards exactly. mental health services and programs. Exactly. Same thing is in EMS. Have more community paramedicine programs. I work for a company that had a community community paramedicine program, and unfortunately, it didn't run long. But that's a different conversation, and we can talk about that in another interview. The reason that I'm bringing this up is because it has a definite tie in the trafficking. Because if you're living in a war zone-like city, like a East St. Louis or St. Louis, depending on where you live, and crime is happening rampantly all in the metro St. Louis area, and let's say you're in a situation where your caregiver is trafficking you. You're not going to call the cops. If you feel like the cops are going to come and not do shit, if you're in a situation where... You're in the trafficking situation where wherever you live, maybe it's a, a forced labor type of situation, so it's more on the human trafficking side, the forced mm -hmm. labor side. You're not going to call the cops if you think, hey, mm -hmm. every time I look at the news, some black person that's unarmed is getting shot or killed or whatever. Or you see these breaking news stories and shit. So, what you're saying is so apropos. I want us to keep talking about breaking down these stigmas and stereotypes and taboos because of the shame, the drama, the, the guilt, the judgment. All of these things play a huge part into why people who are scared of law enforcement, don't want to get law enforcement involved if they are hurting, if they are injured, if they're dying. 
you know, if they're being traumatized. It's so much stuff. I'm going to, I want you to respond to anything that I just said before I go on to the next thing about the movie. Sure. There are two things I want to say is that in terms of, of like, if, if, if you do, for example, if law enforcement does hear you and your, your trafficker, your predator is taken to court, it's like a, a situation of domestic violence. I find it horrific that the victim or survivor of that person has to appear in court because you're re-traumatized once again. Why do we have to do that? Why, why does that the person have to appear in front of the, the, the victim survivor has to appear in front of the person who, who um, exploited, exploited them and they, they're re-traumatized. They have to talk about the details in front of a public. I think that's, that's horrific, that needs to change. In terms of training, 100%, there's lack of training. So if people don't feel that it's urgent enough, they will remove the funds. So we need to emphasize, like you said, that it's something urgent. And then the last thing I wanna say is that I went to, to Silicon Valley a few years ago and you've got the tech companies, mm -hmm. big money tech companies, and then outside, outside their, their area, you've got people that are trafficked. It's another world. Do they care? Are they doing anything about it? No, it's shocking. And we need to, we need to call it out for what it is. I mean, I'm not going to uh, sugarcoat it, but, but I, no. was, I didn't expect that at all, at all. Here's one thing that I want to point out about the money. It goes back to something that you had talked about before um, when we were talking about that 150 billion a year in US dollars, so I'm saying 150 billion with a B a year. On your website, it says, how much profit does human trafficking generate? And again, according to the 2017 September report from the International Labor Organization and Wall Street Foundation, human trafficking is believed to generate profits of US $150 billion a year. The following is a breakdown of profits by sector. $99 billion from commercial sexual exploitation, $34 billion in construction, manufacturing, mining, and utilities. $9 billion in agriculture, including forestry and fishing, and then $8 billion saved annually. $8 billion is saved annually by private households that employ domestic workers under conditions of forced labor. Mm -hmm. Please talk about that. Well, in terms of well, domestic servitude can fall, when we talk about it's not black and white, somebody who's, who's in domestic servitude can be in forced labor, so they work seven days a week, they don't have hours, they don't have a contract, their passports can be taken from them. But at the same time, they could also be used for sex. So that's where the two overlap. And it's not that, you know, they're not like complete uh, black and white categories. So the, the, the issue with, with the domestic servitude, again, is that 
if there's a housekeeper in a home and the housekeeper does not go out of the house or it's very difficult to for for neighbors to to see that they need to you, i can't say they need to but but they could be living next to next to somebody who is traffic mm -hmm. being trafficked domestically um yeah so so that's something another thing is that in terms of i would say switzerland is an example because we have we have many many um un organizations and many diplomats diplomats are have immunity so if they have if they have um housekeepers or domestic domestic help and they're they're abused they're they're on they're they're they don't have nothing really happens to them because it's state against state you know what i didn't think about when we were talking about having this conversation and we're talking about the misinformation and the one i want to bring it back up on the screen here your website because your website is freaking phenomenal and whoever and whomever all had a part in that my flowers to you all because it is just fucking phenomenal. I, I just can't say it. Climate change and human trafficking. You talk about misinformation. I would have never put climate change and trafficking in the same sentence. But listen, you all say desperation enables human trafficking to flourish. Talking about climate change and human trafficking. Climate change increases the risk of natural disasters such as droughts and floods or floods, places a strain on livelihoods and leads to migration and displacement of people to more promising regions. People on the move find themselves in vulnerable situations and become easy prey for traffickers. Many women or girls who are the most poor and vulnerable become subjects of sexual or subjects to sexual exploitation or forced labor or both. Quote unquote climate migrants find themselves desperate for security and work and as such become easy targets for human trafficking. I've never heard of the term climate migrants. Please enlighten us on that. Well, I've, you said it when you read it. It's it's um, when, when there are natural disasters, people leave their, their, their homes and they, they lose their jobs or for whatever reason, they move. People on the move are vulnerable, and people and human trafficking prey on preys on vulnerability. So, vulnerable people who want a better life, who seek a better life, um, can can fall prey to to somebody who tells them, "I have a job for you. I have again, job, food, money. Um, you know, provide that security that they've lost." And when you're desperate and you want to survive, take any helping hand you can. So we don't talk about uh, changes in climate, but uh, but look at what's happening in the world: the floods, the fires. The, it's it's ongoing, you know. And people are are moving, and the fact that they move means they lose their their livelihood, their security, and they are they are vulnerable. They are in a vulnerable situation. Magnetic Russia. We're gonna have to do another part because I gotta. I I'm gonna give these 27 parts of this question. I'm. There's a piece of <laughs> I'm gonna be upset for a little bit. 
we're just gonna have to do it. We're just gonna have to continue talking about this stuff because I'm mind mapping right now. My ADD is kicking in, but I want to the hour podcast. I can break them off. That's okay. I do have one more point I want to raise, mm-hmm. and going back to what we talked about when we talk about the obstacles. Because again, we're talking about the money, also. So on your site, you talk about obstacles to combating human trafficking, and it's going to kind of reiterate some of the points, but I just want to bring it to a close here. Obstacles to combating human trafficking. Most of it goes to the to the work. You know, it's, you're not paying salaries or anything. You're going to the work, to the actual work that we do. So um, we, when you do donate, um, we all, we will give you a rundown of where your money is going and and, and you, we're very transparent about that i got it on the screen here folks that's why i say please watch these interviews because you're gonna miss it but that's okay 15 <laughs> percent goes to advocacy and communication five percent goes to management and admin all donations to youth underground or 100 percent tax deductible and contribute to investing in programs that sensitize and benefit the youth people of all ages Promoting youth initiatives and activities that combat human trafficking, engaging the youth to develop activities, discussions, and tools that combat trafficking, human trafficking, and communicating worldwide positive youth initiatives that combat human trafficking. All this stuff is on the website, folks. So this organization is legit. The company is legit. The work that they do is legit. Washington Ma is so legit. Like, if you just Google Washington Ma, you're going to get a whole library of Congress about, <laughs> you know, her work that she's done, like her family did work for doing, you know, parents, and that's how she got into doing this public service work. She worked for the UN for a while, and, you know, they got her to doing the work that she does now with trafficking. I mean, look, I want to get an official copy of your CV going all the <laughs> back. I want to know how many pages it is. I don't want you to say it right now. We'll talk about that later. Yeah, I, I, I'm just saying, I want to get the whole CV. I want you to send that to me in an email sometime today or this week. Because I just <laughs> you, you so fascinating because you have done so much, Rasha. I mean, damn. Like, you just, you just, like, you're just a bomb. And, and I'm telling you, I appreciate we're going to go ahead and wrap it up here. I'm going to go ahead and let you go so I can do this missing person case. Sure. You know, when we talk about trafficking, we talk about some of these stories that sometimes people don't really want to get involved. I want you, actually, I want you to hold on because I want you to listen to this. I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm just going to read parts of it. This comes from celebsweek.com. It's about a young man named Johannes Dane. He was an employee of Netflix. Uh, they talk about a number of things in this story. Johannes Dane, he was a software engineer for Netflix. He was listed as missing, age 22 years of age. He was born May 5th, 2001, birthplace, Tompkins County in New York State. Gender is male, nationality American. He got a zodiac, he's a Taurus, ethnicity African American. Body measurements, five foot, 
eight inches or centimeters because I know you guys have the metric system over in, in, in uh, Switzerland. So for your benefit, it's 175 centimeters and in meters, it's 1.75 meters. Weight in kilograms is 68 and pounds is 150 pounds. Eyes brown, hair black. His parents, uh, his mother, her name is Hannah Bien, B-E-Y-E-N-E. No information about his dad. He has a brother named Joseph Cadane. He went to Webster Shorter High School and Cornell University. His family is concerned about his sudden disappearance, which happened here in the States in San Jose, California. He had relocated to San Jose uh, this June, this July, and had just begun his second week of work in Netflix when he went missing. His brother said that he took an Uber from his apartment building, and this was on August 14th, around 7.15 p.m., and that would be Pacific time. He was asking him wearing gray sweatpants, a black hoodie, and black shoes. He brought along with their father, from New York to the Bay Area, and searched for Johanna. Surveillance footage from his apartment building captured him getting to a black Toyota sedan with an Uber stick. And he had mentioned to some of his co-workers that he was headed to San Francisco, possibly to meet a friend. However, his phone trackers has remained static near the Golden Gate Bridge since Monday evening. You know, his phone was wanted backpack or discovered south of the Golden Gate Bridge in a public area near the Welcome Center and Coffee Shop. And the community discovered his phone and wallet on Grassy Hill and turned them over to the Marine California Highway Patrol Office. Backpack was located, containing two laptops and personal documents, and they reported the case to the San Jose Police, and they are actively seeking information. This could be a trafficking situation because, again, like you said, all genders can get it when it comes to trafficking. He was in Silicon Valley. I was there. A couple of years ago, doing the training, doing the stop and retrain. You know, uh, if you have any information, they have a couple of phone numbers to contact his mom at 585 500 5220 or his brother, Yosef, which is Y O I E F, Kadane, same last name, at 585 489 4880. Again, if you have any information about Johannes S. Kadane, Contact his mom at 585-500-5220 or brother at 585-489-488. In closing, I want to say keep your eye and your ears open. Remember situational awareness. It's not a matter of if, but when and where any emergency is going to happen. We want you to be a by-doer instead of a bystander. That's a quote from my work partner, Dexter Dottagans. We also want you to learn how to be an immediate responder until a first responder shows up and you take over patient care. That means learn how to do stop the bleed, CPR, AD, choking, all of these different things because they're important. And any age can learn these things. For Rasha Kamai, I am your Fire Medic CEO host, LPL.